Okay, what class would you say enjoys ice cream the most? Oh, definitely Circle of the Land, Tundra, Druid. It makes perfect sense. Okay, sure. But, I mean, wouldn't they be sick of all that cold? Ooh, good point. What about Fighter? Uses Indomitable against Brain Freeze. Nice, but... Rogues could be sneak attacking them sprinkles. Oh, you didn't say there were toppings. <laughs> that changes everything. The correct answer? Transmutation Wizard. Wow me. Well, with Minor Alchemy, they can change those toppings to whatever they want the ice cream, and it never gets boring. Then, at 10th level, they can change themselves into other creatures, so they're experiencing the ice cream with different tongues. And then at 14th level, they get Master Transmuter to restore youth, to turn themselves into a child, and no one enjoys ice cream more than a child. Wow. 1,000 lab points. Let's start the show. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it. Started out in 5e. And me, I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year, we're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How to range? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here. Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kind of drab. This ain't one. It's the character lab. Welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around one thing we as players cannot resist. Of course, that's compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey everybody, it's Dan. And I'm Garen, and this week, we sat down with some of the most popular content on DMs Guild by an author that you may not have heard of, but dang well should. As of this recording, Benjamin Huffman has 30 products on DMs Guild, including some that are international translations. That's right, he's world famous of his most popular work. Dan featured an item for Mr. Huffman's back on our May 8th episode, but apart from that, there is a mountain of player options to choose from, and we haven't even dove into those until this week. We'll say it now and probably again at the end of the episode, but some of these products even have free previews to download so you can try before you buy, which is a fantastic way to know what you're getting. Okay, I think we've built this up enough. Enough of the chit-chat. Let's see how these products play out as we start with this week's backstories. A close family of Plesiosaurians lived at the edge of Lake Uglak in the western lowlands of Maria. They were farmers, growing cranberries and rinsing them in the lake. It was a relatively successful business until a band of Triceras, those pointy jerks, moved into town and wowed all the locals with their super sweet blackberries. The Plesio family went from middle class to destitute in a matter of weeks. No one wanted their tart cranberries when they could suckle those delicious blackberries all day. What's more, the successful Triceros company wanted to buy their surrounding land to build more groves. The land was full of trees and useless to a cranberry farmer, but the matriarch of the family had a great idea. If they could knock down those trees, they could start their own berry farms and grow all the sweetest berries that anyone has ever tried. The only problem was that they didn't have the money to buy the necessary tools to clear a patch of forest. 
Now, the only thing they had going for them at this point was their natural strength and the fact that they had nothing left to lose. So the Plesios went out to the forest and started pushing and yanking trees out of the ground any way they could. The oldest son, Yerno, was exceptionally frustrated by this turn of events. He knew how hard his parents had worked to grow that cranberry business, and now they had nothing. In his fit of rage, he punched a nearby tree, and to his shock, it fell right over. Apparently, he had a really good punching form all along and didn't know it. Yurno cleared an acre of that forest the same day, jabbing and hooking those trees right out of the ground. His knuckles were bloodied, but his spirits were high. The rest of the family tried, but couldn't quite get the technique down, so they relied on Yurno to clear, and they went right to work planting new berries. Yurno then took it a step further. Strapping three old branches to his head, he took those fresh berries that they grew and he walked into town and passed himself off at being part of the Triceros business, selling their good, good berries with the Triceros customer base and making that dollar. The family soon became successful in their own right, but this wasn't looked kindly upon by the Triceros Blackberry Cartel. They sent muscle to try and cause some accidents to happen on the Plessio farm, but they didn't count on the tree-punching Yerno to be able to handle this threat. He was outnumbered and outsworded, but with a few desperate tricks up his sleeve, he was able to fend off the thugs. Yurno has never once been on an adventure. He's never received any loot, never even officially gotten any experience. But he is a level 17 pugilist of the Piss and Vinegar subclass. He is a Plesiosaurian, which is a dinosaur person. And he is the charlatan background, and the race and class and subclass, that's right, a brand new original class, are all written by Benjamin Huffman. Man, am I looking forward to hearing more about that. A dino person. So much fun. I can't believe we haven't featured that yet on the show. Oh yeah, so this is the long neck, semi-aquatic dinosaur if you want to get your head wrapped around this. Kind of like a water version of a brontosaurus. Very, very cool. And this week, let me introduce you to... Crimson Belikov. Sure, we all know the triumph of the story that is the overthrow of Sir Strahd von Zarevich of Barovia from the Curse of Strahd campaign, but much less often told is what followed. Brutal Crusades mass killings, overwhelming hysteria, execution of the innocent. You see, it became hard for the people of Ravenloft to distinguish vampires from normal humans. Many people were accused of being vampires, especially those who kept mostly to themselves. With little to no due process, they were jailed and promptly executed with silvered weapons. Merith Leokin was one of Strahd's most beloved mistresses and half-elven housekeepers in Castle Ravenloft. You see, he was quite the Don Juan. Shortly before he was overthrown, Merith became pregnant with Strahd's child. She had since given birth to the child Crimson, who was merely a small child when his mother suffered a similar fate to those who had also worked for Strahd. Crimson darted off to the forest nearby, as fast as he could, fearing for his life. He knew what happened to his mother, but he also knew that he now had to fend for himself. Making his way through the pitch dark of night, Crimson quickly found himself with a band of flying foxes. It's like a breed of really big bats. He could speak with them. He had an affinity toward them that appeared to be reciprocated. 
they vowed to keep one another safe. Crimson grew older, making the wild his home. Learning powerful hunting and combat tactics from his new family, but also becoming proficient with a durable bow that he had made from some of the old wood in the phantasmal forest. His half-undead bloodline gave him unquenchable thirst for blood, but also unique arcane abilities. He's nearly undetectable, and has become estranged from the ways humans in the nearby towns work. He's a dead shot too, so watch your neck if you're creeping around the forest at night. Crimson is a level 17 Dreadblood Dampier, which is half human or elf or something, half vampire, Apex Predator Ranger with the Outlander background. Now, the subclass can be found in the gold bestseller, The Complete Martialist Handbook by Benjamin Huffman, but also Ross Lyser, and the race can be found in the Dampier supplement, which is just 50 cents by Benjamin Huffman over on DM's Guild. Now, for those of you that are saying, Dan, I've heard this before, that's because you're a loyal fan. I did create a Dampier sorcerer in the Deep Magic series. His name was Daniel Robbins. So, good on you. This is now my second Dampier entering the lab, and he is ready to throw down. And what I like about this is, as you mentioned, that was a different publisher. So we're going to get a different take on Dampier. And if you can remember any of those facts, that would be great to see how they stack up. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. That's actually one of my favorite parts of doing this show is cross-comparing two very similar ideas and see how different these two ideas can actually come into fruition when it comes to mechanics in the game. Yes, you know, that's proving the point that just because somebody made a half-vampire doesn't mean it can never be done again. There's other takes on that. It's beautiful. And you know what else, Garen? Something that can't help your mechanics is when you keep rolling ones. You know, maybe your dice are cursed. Of course, you could go seek a cleric to get rid of that curse. Or you could just head on over to Tabletop Loot. Their site is full of all the essentials and even more heart. Their store has shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of dice. And what really makes this place special is they regularly support gaming in schools by having sales where every single dice set purchased means that one will be donated to a school gaming program. That's just great. Getting more kids involved in this game is what it's about. We need the next generation to carry the torch. And what's more is their dice selection cannot be beat. Now, of course, we don't have time to list them all, so this week I'm going to highlight the one that I would use when playing my character, Crimson Belikov, and that is Demon Stones with the beautiful, luscious, deep reds and blacks with gold numbers. It's perfect for those vampiric quenches. <laughs> now, when you click the link in our show notes or head on over to tabletoploot.com and enter the code LABRAT, you get 15% off your total purchase. That's L-A-B-R-A-T, all one word. And that works on everything in the store except for the metal Norse Foundry dice. So head on over to that website, grab some fresh loot, and start rolling like a brute. Thank you, Dan, and Tabletop Loot. Now, if you're just joining us, I'll explain the show format. We have nine categories that we have each prepared arguments for, and in each we will state why our character deserves a minus two to positive two. A positive two is equal to the comedy quality of Step Brothers, starring Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, and a minus two is more like their recent flop, Holmes and Watson. <laughs> Additionally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other to roll for the score in which we are arguing as a charisma save using the charisma score for our character. Then at the end, whoever has the most points wins. Now, let's get into the melee category. A pugilist is a bare-knuckle boxer, effectively. And I have chosen the piss and vinegar, which are the dirty trick subclass. So I have two basic attacks, which are a plus nine to hit with my dino punch. 
and that does a flat 1d12. No strength or dex modifier on these attacks. I can also make an additional strike as a bonus action. So I can make three strikes per turn. That is a potential 36 damage. I also have moxie points to spend, which are just like key points or prowess points. The old one too is one of my features. It's Flurry of Blows. It allows me to take two attacks with my bonus action. At fifth level, I get a feature called Haymaker, where if I don't already have disadvantage, I can declare that I'm swinging wild haymakers, give myself disadvantage, and if I hit on any of those attacks, I get max damage. I don't have to roll. That's a cool feature. And then the last thing I'm going to add to my melee category is a ninth level feature. Now, there is another feature that I will touch on in the tankiness category called Bloodied But Unbowed. And now this one is called Down But Not Out. And now this one can only be used in addition to the other one, which is something that I always like. Combo your abilities. If you're using Bloodied But Unbowed, you add your proficiency bonus, which at level 17 is a plus 6 to all unarmed strikes. And I can do this for one minute, and I have to have a long rest recharge. So, all those things combined, I'm adding another 18 damage on top of that 36. That is 54 potential damage for a round. I'm arguing a plus two. Well, Mr. Huffman and Mr. Garen, you have my attention. This is a contender for the monk, so I'm paying very close attention to that. But I do think this is going to be your strongest category, so I'm going to go ahead and make you roll here. I'm going to tell you right now. It's tankiness. Wait till you hear that category. It's going to blow your socks off. Wait till you hear my tankiness. Oh, it's going to be a showdown. I'm loving it. All right. This is a tough roll. Only a plus one with a 12 charisma. The DC for a plus two is a 17. You need a 16 or better. Sorry, I rolled it right off my desk. Oh, sure you did. Natural one. Well, I got a natural eight, so nothing happened. So you'll take your plus one. I'm going to argue also a plus one. I have two attacks, and as a dampier... I have the ability to scratch and bite with a plus six to hit, deals out 1d4 piercing damage, and on my bonus action, I can do it again. I also have two short swords with a plus 10 to hit, deals out 1d6 plus four. Again, I have two attacks. Here's the deal though. I took the stylized fighter feat out of the complete martialist handbook, which allows me to learn a fighting style available to fighters. So I took two weapon fighting. Oh, nice. That's a cool feat. I really like it, because as a ranger, you also get a style of fighting. So, I also have archery, which I'll be featuring in the range category. Oh, dang. Yeah, this is really nice. I, I've never seen that done before, but I, I like the utility here. But also, I have um, another feature of the Apex Predator called Bloodthirsty Assault, which at 11th level, when you deal damage with a weapon or unarmed strike, and you roll a 1, you can re-roll that, and you have to use the new roll. So... I'm really never rolling low damage. I have a potential here to deal out 40 damage per turn with that two-weapon fighting. Mm. I'm arguing a plus one. Yeah, some really nice stacking on all your stuff there. I'm not surprised that your ranger's coming in hot. I bet you've never seen a ranger do melee like that. No, not also knowing that your ranged category is going to be stacked as well. Usually a ranger has to decide. So good on you for that. I will allow you your plus one. I assume your plus two is coming. Garen, uh, before I head into ranged, I am going to dabble a bit into X-Factor here, but I really like the fact that I have melee options both with and without weapons. Really, really cool stuff. Not very common for a ranger. But heading into probably my strongest category in ranged, Margin a plus two here. Again, I have two attacks. I've got a longbow with a plus 12 to hit. 
thanks to that archery fighting style. That, that ain't going to miss very often. Deals out 1d8 plus 4, and that's all fine and good, right? But, Garen, today's quiz question is for the spell Swift Quiver. Do you know what it does? Is that a wizard's official spell? It is. I can't recall. No, I. that does not sound familiar to me. It's a transmutation spell that lasts a minute. Now, when you cast it, it allows you to take a bonus action and fire off two additional shots. That means oh. that when the spell is active, I can fire off four shots for a potential 48 damage in a round from afar. That is awesome. So we're both just making monks be like, I thought Flurry of Bows was special. Now everybody's getting extra bonus attacks. <laughs> Easy plus two here. Dang. Yes. Especially with that feature of the spell. What level did you say the spell is? It's actually a fifth level spell. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. That's pretty potent. It's very potent. And with a plus 12 to hit, man, I would likely be doing most of that damage. So I held true to my pugilist character. And while I could take a ranged weapon, I chose not to even equip one. So I have a minus two. So I need to do the best in my interest here and try and prevent this plus two. So please roll. But you're so polite about it as a pugilist. I, you're right. I should be using dirty tricks. And because Crimson went and lived with bats... He has a 10 charisma, so I need a 17 or better to pull this off. I rolled a 12. Yes. Whew. Okay, so you mentioned you get a minus 2 in ranged with no ranged weapon, so why don't you go ahead and take us into the burninating category, which is the magic damage. Well, monks are on notice, and just last week... In our Crit Academy episode, you had a Barbarian with magical attacks, and now I've got Moxie-Fueled Fists. It's exactly what you think it is. So I think it's a zero. Yeah, easy peasy. Uh, at 17th level, you know, I, I could be a jerk and say that, you know, you need a little something else, but uh, we've made it a pretty much a standard here that that's, uh, that's a zero in the lab. I'm arguing a plus one. So I've got Hunter's Mark, and I've also got Wrath of Nature. And as a racial feature of the Dreadblood Dampier, so that's the sub-race that I chose, it's called Dread Legacy, and it allows you to cast Tasha's Hideous Laughter once with this trait. Now, that doesn't deal out any damage, but at third level, you can cast Crown of Madness with Intelligence as your spellcasting ability for those spells. And, similar to you, remember those unarmed strikes? Both the bite and the scratch? Yeah, they count as magical for the means of overcoming resistance and immunity. Okay, now Crown of Madness, it's interesting to put it in the burn category. It's definitely a control spell. I could see how you could argue it being a burn spell. If you want to argue it, you can, but I have two spells and the same thing that you have, so I am definitely better than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm dealing way more damage, but yes, okay. All right, so moving into control... Basically, how controlling am I on and off the battlefield? Well, I'm arguing a zero here. I have Pass Without a Trace. I've got Speak with Animals, Beast Sense, Dark Vision. I've also got Vanish as a Ranger, as well as Primeval Awareness, Land Stride. I've got that Preferred Terrain and three favored enemies at this level. Mm -hmm. But I have to be honest and I have to take a penalty for a racial trait that I've got, which is called Sunlight Sensitivity. <laughs> now, this is very similar to the Cobalt Press build of the Dampier. And it's true to form because you take disadvantage on attack rolls and wisdom checks that rely on sight when you, the target of your attack, or whatever you're trying to perceive is in direct sunlight. However, that's counteracted by another racial feature I have called Daywalker. And it allows you to use your action to ignore your sunlight sensitivity for one hour. And that recharges after a long rest. 
So that is detrimental to say the least, and that is why I am arguing a zero here. I have a lot of stuff in the control category, but that flaw on the race is is quite something. Okay, now I'm not going to be surprised if you're aghast that I'm saying this, but while you do have some things to offer in the control category, it wasn't that juicy. It's kind of some standard Ranger stuff we were going over there, and as you mentioned, pretty serious flaws. So this might be minus one territory. Uh, yeah, no, primeval awareness. Go back and study that. That is so controlling. Not to mention at 17th level, when you get three preferred enemies, I chose beasts, fiends, and I believe aberrations, which is going to cover a lot of the things that you're running into. Oh, you think so. What about monstrosities? It can't be perfect, but a, an even zero, I think, is more than appropriate here. Okay, well, I am going to be arguing for a plus two in control. I have got a stick and move, which is a moxie point expenditure. Use a bonus action to either make a shove attack or take the dash action. At seventh level, I can use my action to end one effect on myself that's causing me to be charmed or frightened. And I have got some features of my piss and vinegar subclass. Now this is where I get nasty with it. Heal Stomper. When you deal damage with an unarmed attack, you can attempt to slow the creature that you hit. The creature must make a dex save, and on failure, you gain one moxie point up to your maximum, and its movement speed is halved for one minute. Now, the save is going to be against my charisma, which is not terribly high. It's A plus proficiency plus charisma, so that's actually a 15 at 17th level, thanks to my high proficiency. I've also got low blow. You know where this is going. Oh, no. You could try to hit them below the belt. They must make a strength save, or on failure, you gain a moxie point and the creature is knocked prone. Interesting that they went with a strength save there. I would say that's constitution all day, but... That is an excellent point. I mean, to withstand that is kind of constitution. <laughs> At its finest. <laughs> Although, the idea of this is that you are punching them in the junk so hard, you're also knocking them down. So, their junk damage is kind of extra on top of that. <laughs> Junk damage is the worst. Oh, man. I, I saw Jeremy Crawford tweet about junk damage, and it's... He gets a lot of questions about junk damage, but he always handles it very well. I mean, who would have thought that all these guys playing D&D would be so concerned about junk damage? One last thing I got is pocket sand. Pocket sand, rowing out my pockets, you're blinded alone. Oh, man, love that song. <laughs> the creature must make a con save. On failure, I gain a moxie point, and it's blinded until the end of its next turn. That is my control category. Uh, yeah, you have a lot. A lot more than what I was expecting. I'm moving. I'm knocking. I'm junk punching. Yeah, I really was not expecting this out of a brawler. What are you arguing here? I think this is plus two worthy. I think you are worthy of a plus two, but you already kind of showed your hand, and they're bare knuckle fists, and you told me that tankiness is a strong category for you. What do you got? Okay, this is also... Very plus two worthy. The worst part of my argument is an AC of 15, which on a pugilist is 12 plus your con. So I got a plus three on that. I've got 187 hit points. It's a D8 class, if you're wondering. I have got Brace Up, which is one of my moxie abilities. I use a bonus action, and I roll my Fisticuffs die, which is a D12, plus my pugilist level, which is 17, plus my con modifier, which is three, and I gain that many temporary hit points as a bonus action. So that is a maximum of... 32 temporary hit points. So my second feature is Bloodied But Unbowed. I mentioned this earlier. This is a third level feature. When I take damage that reduces me to half my maximum hit points or less, I can use my reaction to gain temporary hit points equal to my pugilist level plus my constitution modifier 
and I regain all expended moxie points. I cannot use this feature again until I finished a short or long rest. So that's 20 temporary hit points as a reaction. I also have Dig deep. Starting at fourth level, I discover a strength inside me that cannot be broken. As a bonus action, I gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing for one minute. You get rage resistance. At the end of that minute, I take a level of exhaustion. Fair. Fair and balanced. I'll take it. Fancy footwork. At seventh level, proficiency in deck saves. School of Hard Knocks. Tenth level, I graduate the top of the class, School of Hard Knocks, and I took the most of them on the head. I have resistance to psychic damage, and I gain advantage on saving throws against effects that would make me stunned or unconscious. 14th level, unbreakable. I got advantage on strength, dex, and con saving throws. Additionally, when I make a saving throw and fail, I can spend one moxie point and re-roll it, but I have to take the second result. Plus two. We're going one for one here, and I know that you're going to say you're crazy, but wait until you hear this. I'm also arguing a plus two. I've got an AC of 16. 272 hit points. What? 272? That's right. How's your HP so high, Crimson? Well, I've got a trait of the Apex Predator, and it's called Savage Resilience. At third level, your hit point maximum increases by six points, and whenever you gain a ranger level, your hit point maximum increases by an additional two hit points. That's right. You get the tough feat at third level. I just want to make clear, my con is also an 18. So I got a plus four modifier on that, and there's 17 levels plus the tough feat that's a plus six every level jeez yeah and then i have a trait of the apex predator called predator's counter which at 15th level when a creature within five feet of you attacks you you can use your reaction to lash out at them before they strike you when you do you can make an unarmed strike against the creature before determining whether the attack hits you if your attack hits the attack roll against you has disadvantage how awesome is that? Oh. And that's a reaction. So every time somebody is within five feet and they go for a melee strike, I use my reaction. If my attack hits, they have disadvantage. Awesome. Wow. Now, that marries quite well with the damp here because I imagine I'm just going straight for their neck, going in for the bite. Yeah. And I also, to cap all this off, have a dampier racial trait called hard to kill. When you're not in sunlight, you have advantage on death saving throws. I also have conjure animals. <laughs> and you're using that as meat shields? Oh, for sure. <laughs> they can deal out tons of damage, but also, like, having, like, 20 owls on the battlefield is also pretty tanky. Until they take that one breath attack. <laughs> yeah, true enough. <laughs> Argon plus two. I mean, I think that is as many hit points as my level 30 druid had when we made <laughs> epic characters. Are you agreeable to a one for one doing a plus two and a plus two? Yeah, I mean, of course. You know, you're quite a good friend. And you know what good friends get? A plus two in ally assist. You know what, listeners? If you want to get a plus two like my friend Garen here, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And if you type something with that review, we're going to read it right here on the show. Like our friend Quinn Cool. He wrote, It's great. It's so good, it got me back into playing D&D and creating characters. And you know what? That's exactly what we want to see from a listener. That's exactly what we want to see in the world. I think the world would be a better place if they could exercise their demons by creating quirky little characters and going and murdering monsters. What do you think, Aaron? Absolutely. If our show makes you say, dang, I haven't built a character in a long time, I want to do that again, 
That is what we wanted to hear from you. Absolutely. It's our favorite part of Dungeons & Dragons, and that's why Garen and I sit at our desks and build characters for three-plus hours a week, probably more than that, because we just love doing it. Yeah, I mean, you're not building a character right unless it takes you three hours. Even after all this time, it still takes us, on average, three hours to build a character. Yeah, and that includes backstory development, because backstory, as we said guides the whole process so guys thank you so much quinn cool for that review and like i said head on over to itunes leave us a five-star review we'll read you right here on the show so i'm arguing for crimson a plus one in ally assist he has cure wounds stone skin healing spirit and lesser restoration dang no arguments there solid healing spells repair i am arguing a zero i have got street smarts Beginning at second level, carousing, shadow boxing, and sparring all count as light activity for the purpose of resting. Now, that's not relevant to ally assist, but it's part of the ability. Additionally, once I have caroused in a settlement for eight hours or more, I know all the public locations in the city as if I were born there, and I cannot be lost by non-magical means while within the city. Now, that could be very helpful to my friends. I know this place by the back of my hand. I have also got a feature of my race, which I haven't touched on much yet, and that is catch of the day. When I'm near a body of water, I can spend 10 minutes fishing. I catch 10 fish, which function identically to the berries created by the spell Goodberry. I knew it! I knew you were going to do something with the berries to make it come back to Goodberry. I knew you couldn't resist it. And that is a once-per-long-rest feature. That is obviously what sold me. I hate you. Catch of the day. It's not fish, it's cranberries if I'm Yurno. I knew it. I knew you couldn't resist it. So my last thing is a feature called the Uncouth Art. At 17th level of being Piss and Vinegar, I get a bonus to another feature called Salty Salute. Salty Salute is using a bonus action to provoke a creature within 60 feet who can see or hear me. The creature must make a wisdom save. On failure, the creature takes Fisticuff Die, which is D12, plus Charisma Modifier, which is a 1, in Psychic Damage, and it has disadvantage on all attack rolls not targeting me until the start of my next turn. So that's Salty Salute. At 17th level, I get Uncouth Art, where I can target 17 creatures and all give them this psychic damage and all make them have disadvantage if they're not attacking me. That's a melee assist. So I think with Street Smarts, Good Water Berries, and the Uncouth Art, this is also a plus one. Yeah, plus one, definitely. We're going one for one here. This is going to go all the way to the 12th round, I think, Mr. Pugilist. So tell me, how balanced is your Pugilist this week? This is my first plus two in a while, I think. Strength of 14, Dex of 16, Con of 17, Intelligence of 10, Wisdom of 14, Charisma of 12, Acrobatics 9, Deception 7, Intimidation 7, Sleight of Hand 9, Stealth 9, Survival 8. Six proficiencies. Come on. Don't forget, I have advantage on Strength Dex and Con saves. And Catch of the Day. Garen, I think this is another one we're going to go one for one. So at 17th level, listeners, it's very easy to make a very balanced character. So I'm going to run through the numbers. I've got a strength of 10, dex of 19, con of 18, intelligence of 11, wisdom of 14, charisma of 10. I have a passive perception of 12, proficiencies in athletics, intimidation with plus 12 in intimidation, 6 to investigation, 10 on stealth and eight on survival. As I mentioned, 272 hit points and an AC of 16. I think this is a very well-balanced character that is going to do some damage out there from afar. Nothing wrong with that. Let's just wrap this baby up. Let's take it into our charisma scenario submitted by Gabe of Interparty Conflict. 
You are enjoying a meal with your companions at the local tavern when a group of armed thugs enter holding a scrap of paper. Tossing the paper in front of you, you are shocked to see a wanted poster with your face on it. Somehow a mistake has been made, but the brutes appear eager to collect your bounty, dead or alive. How do you defuse the situation without needless bloodshed, crimson? You all about that blood, though. Do you have a smooth answer to this? I do. So I would say in a funny voice, Well, you've clearly got me. Let me just sign my death certificate now and you can go off with my head. And then I would wave my feather quill and I would pretend to sign on the wanted poster like I'm signing my death certificate. But it's actually the material component of hideous laughter. And if you don't believe me, look it up. A feather, waving it around in the air is the material component. And with the lead thug as the target... I would cast that spell, and he would find this gesture just so hilariously funny that he would fall on the floor in a fit of laughter, which I imagine would make the rest of his squad just really uncomfortable with carrying out my execution. I would then just slink out with Pass Without a Trace, and then just get the heck out of Dodge. So, with all this, I think it's a plus one. Okay, it's a little aggressive for the boisterousness of it, but... I can't knock you down in points because my character was also not made to be the smoothest. I'm a bit rougher on the edges on that, too. And also, a plus one just for the fact that I referenced the material component of a spell. We don't ever do that on this show. That's very true. You get a bonus lab point for doing that. I am arguing a plus one also because I think I got options here. Because with my street smarts, I already know this town that I'm drinking in, right? And with my rabble rouser feature at 13th level... Word of my exploits have traveled quickly in the town, and after I've taken a long rest in that town, I have advantage on all persuasion and intimidation rolls made against the people who live there. So I use my persuasion to tell the people, like, let's calm down. We don't really want to take this anywhere we don't need to. And with my street smarts, I already know my means to escape if I get a chance to distract them. If all else fails, I offer them the catch of the day. <laughs> You're using a lot of features here. It's fun. I think this is uh, this is a plus one. So tell me, how would you handle this? I feel like you're going to be really over-aggressive about this, but how do you handle it aggressively? Well, with the following caveat. So it seems like a fight is on the menu. Let's get ready to rumble. How do you use the situation to gain an advantage without adding to the list of your supposed crimes? Okay, at 11th level, I get mean old cuss. When I make an intimidation ability check, and you can use my reaction to spend one moxie point to give myself advantage on the roll. And when a creature makes a saving throw against me, I can use my reaction to spend one moxie point to give them disadvantage. So, I am intimidating the heck out of these guys. I'm like, you don't want to be doing this. I mean, look, this poster doesn't even look like us. And then when I pull the poster over to demonstrate... Pocket Blinding eyes of your worst foes. Then I use my Herculean feature at 15th level, which means my carrying capacity is doubled. And I flip this table and throw it all over them. Then I jump up on the table and I give them all the salty salute, which does psychic damage and makes them attack me. Then it's just cleanup time after that. Whew. Yeah. A lot of abilities once again. What are you arguing here? Plus two. I think this is what I was born to do. You might eke me out here, because I'm arguing a plus one. I think you're worthy of a plus two there. You got a lot of abilities, and you are born to be aggressive as a pugilist. Now, I'm arguing a plus one, because uh, I'd flash my canine teeth, showing that they're just a little sharper than your average elf. And I'd use my plus 12 to intimidation, squint my eyes, and I would go ahead and say, I think you've got the wrong guy, pal. Now beat it. 
Now, this would certainly succeed with my other racial trait called Creeping Terror, which after you make an intimidation check, before the DM declares whether or not you were successful, you could spend and roll a hit die and add the result to your ability check. So not only would I get a plus 12, but I would just go ahead and add that hit die. So to add effect, I would then use Wrath of Nature to target the stone bar top and just hurl it towards the thug's head. Missing on purpose, going right above it, letting debris fall around in a 60-foot cube, dealing out 3d8 bludgeoning damage to everyone who did not save their DC-16 deck save. Okay, but a 60-foot cube is everybody in the bar. You're just wrecking the whole bar with that. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's aggressive. It is. You're fighting the whole bar. And 3d8 damage is going to be enough to kill most commoners in that bar, which I think is going to let you get away with this. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, you're arguing a plus one for that then? Yeah, absolutely. I've got no problem with giving you a plus one for killing an entire bar. I think that's the first time it's ever happened on the show. (laughs) So moving it into the X factor, this is basically the unscored portion of the show where we talk about whether or not we'd like to play this character that we built in a campaign. And Garen, I'll let you go ahead and do the honors of starting. Would you like to play a dino pugilist? Okay, so the Saurians are definitely my vibe. I love dino people. There's a lot of good ones on here. I told you why I chose the Plesio. I was also looking for a strength-based dinosaur, and that's what this had. I love the pugilist, bare-knuckle boxing, Brad Pitt's character in the movie Snatch. And that's the feeling I'm getting from this. My only gripe with the pugilist is I think moxie points are a bit too easy to regain and to manage. They're not a resource that's going to make you sweat it too much, because key points are the closest thing we have to that. And monks don't regain key points often enough through ability features. They have to wait for rest more often than not. Am I right? That's correct. So yeah, I mean, apart from that, the features on this are great. You've got this unarmored, just fighting with your fist kind of character. It's a different take than your monk. It's kind of like a monk barbarian blend, I would say. I did enjoy the pugilist. I was not familiar with it, but I knew that it was incredibly popular. I personally would love to play this ranger. I think this is another ranger that uh, does not adhere to my hatred for the class. I think that this is a great subclass. It gives it a lot of flavor. It was the perfect companion to the Dampier race, in my opinion, with that bite attack. Uh, It's a very fun build, and I would actually like to play this thing all the way up to 17th level because he's got an answer for every scenario. Um, You can also get yourself into some sticky situations without fearing the consequences with those 272 hit points, which is exactly how I like to play. So big ups to Benjamin Huffman this week for this material. It's a lot of fun stuff to get my creative juices flowing. Yeah, and you hinted that I would like this Ranger subclass, and I definitely do. I like the thematic of the Apex Predator. I like the features that he put in there. This is a very violent Ranger, and you still have the spellcasting option on your Ranger, which is what's really making me turn around on the Ranger, because it's just so many different things bound into one character class. So... Yes, I agree that I, I really enjoy the Apex Predator, and the take on the Dampier is cool. It's not really my thing, though. Vampires, I don't really care for. Understood. And also, that racial flaw can be really detrimental, and Cobalt Press did the same thing with their Dampier, so... But we like flaws. It makes sense. We do like flaws. And, Garen, one of us is flawed this week. Who won? Yeah, not exactly true. We tied 9-9. to I managed to claw my way back after that minus 2 in the range category. You didn't have any negatives this week, so if anything... Your character won because my guy was a little imbalanced in the overall spread of the scoring. Well, I guess if we were to do it through initiative rules, I would have the higher dex modifier, so (laughs) I will take the win this week. Thank you so much. I think it would be the charisma, really. I think on the show, we'd go with the higher charisma, which would be me. (laughs) We'll call it a tie. We'll call it a tie. Okay, so you guys saw 
how the apex predator and the pugilist worked and if you like the idea of a brand new class like the pugilist benjamin huffman has also written a magus scholar and spiritualist class these are from the ground up all original and they are offering new styles of play yeah and he also contributed to a huge project with other talented writers in the player's companion it's a 180 page book that's available for 15 bucks and has all the good stuff players need like races classes feats spells whatever and Benjamin is releasing a brand new product on June 10th. It's called the Complete Devout Handbook, uh, just like the Martialist Handbook, Dan, that you use. And it's going to be four new archetypes each for Cleric, Druid, Monk, and Paladin, plus 42 new spells and 36 new magic items. So check for that next week on June 10th. So come back next week as we test our brotherhood and test our psychic damage and psychic powers with our mind meld build. We'll be taking a name provided to us by our Facebook page, one of our listeners there, and we're going to try to build a character that's as close as possible to what the other person is building, and we're going to have nothing to go on except what that character's name is. So drink up your hot dog smoothies and get ready for that episode, but until then, just remember, Lab Rats, when it comes to character creation... Doesn't have to be optimized. Just has to be fun. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of Fight Clubs, Monster Labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working Working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab, and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. Wait until you hear this. It's going to blow your socks off. It's a transmutation I, spell. I already, that's the second time blow your socks off him because we want to say something much dirtier, but we're holding ourselves back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a transmutation. <laughs> it's a transmutation. Hang on.